got in the ring, the DJ hit Perfect Strangers. The Balky song? No, uh, yes, the Balky <laughs> song. Uh, from Deep Purple. Yes, I know. I was making a joke. We can have a separate separate podcast on if Ian Gillen is a good singer or not. He's a good front man. Yes, and but he is has, he a good singer? I mean, he can hit the notes, but I don't know if it's singing or screaming. But he's made more money in music than I've made in real life ever. Yes. You get those royalties from that Perfect Strangers up in the theme song. Who? Deep Purple gets that? Didn't they do the theme song? No, I thought it was uh, re-recorded so that ECW didn't have to pay royalties. You're talking oh, about the I'm goddamn talking about show. The I'm talking about, yes. Jerk. Let's start the show. For those who do not know, the biggest wrestling spectacular, names from all over the country, former champions, I've never seen anything like it. Eddie Graham, Florida Promotion, Vern Gagne, Superstar Billy Graham, Road Warriors, Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis, Tennessee. Bill Watts, Jerry Jarrett. Dory Funk, Harley Race, uh, Nick Bockwinkle. This is Cigars and Conversation with Derek St. Holmes, Esquire. Hello and welcome to Cigars and Conversations, brought to you by our good friends at Astro Radio Z and iTunes. I am your co-host, Jay Gilkane. I'm sitting here with a true raconteur in the world of professional wrestling. This man has shared the ring with a who's who of talent that ranges from the Reverend Axel Future to Sean Priest to the Archangel Vincent, a wrestler, manager, commentator, and a trainer who's contributed essays to wrestling publications and, from what I can tell, has consistently missed the PWI 500 by one spot every year his entire career. With 20 years of experience, he is a true renaissance man with unlimited knowledge. Ladies and gentlemen, I am speaking of the incomparable, the one, the only, Derek St. Holmes Esquire. Welcome back, Derek. Maybe this year. This might be the one. This, this, I, I'm feeling good. Yeah, I, um, I met many people that have said they've missed it by one spot. I, I sure. Have, I, you ever, have you ever had an interest in it at all? Well, in the beginning, I liked reading it because I could find out about different wrestlers. Yeah. And then when I broke in, I was like, well, who did I know that was in there? But then I tumbled to the gaff of how to get in there. Right. Because you basically just send your stuff in. Yeah, right? yeah. They, and, then, and it makes perfect sense. They have to have your stuff. Right. And then they're like, okay, and they have it. And then they just pick who they think has some things. And if not, just people that are in there. Sure. So, uh, uh, Eric Freedom has been in the 500. Yes. He was Turbo Eric Freedom. I think that's how we found out about Shockwave. The Cause robot? Was, yeah, because he was 500 for many, like two or three years in a row, or 499. Shockwave and, the robot was. Yes. Did okay. Hey, our good friend Space Monkey is in it this year too. Good for him. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. I'm just surprised Shockwave, with the sophistication of his gimmick, would be down at 500. Well, unless that was a, a you know like a reverse push. To, but isn't I think that's the thing. I think kind of the there's that reverse, like you said, the reverse push that credit for the person that's like. Four ninety nine, five hundred. Right, probably gets that bump. So, right. But what does five hundred one get, Derek? Nothing. Uh, but uh, experience. Yes. Yes. Yes, that's true. So you said you had a story about um, people that we talked about. At the uh, I also worked uh, the Reverend William Jacobs. Okay. In a in a battle royal, 
And this leads me to a question. I don't believe there's ever been like a, it, I believe it's too hard to do a religious gimmick. In what sense? The way it needs to be done. Like I've never seen an effective one. Okay. To me, it seems to go into an area that just, uh, I hate to say you can't touch anything because, you know, it's wrestling. Right, right. But it just seems to be an area that hits people in the wrong way. And uh, on the indie scene, it, it just appears complicated the way people try to get it over. Well, here, Like I, I would sorry. counter the only successful uh, r- religious gimmick is The Undertaker. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think that um, I look at the religious gimmicks on the indie scene the same way that I look at the people who play police officers in independent films. It always ends up being the guy, the director's buddy with long hair. And you're always like, no police officer has a goddamn ponytail. Right. And you see it in all kinds of like, hey, man, got a spot in my movie. And that's the guy. And that throws me. And you look at these, uh, a lot of the guys on the indie scene that do do like a quote unquote religious gimmick. And you're like, there's no way in hell. It's so unbelievable. It's just so bad. This person, yes. Like there's not, you're not even close to being religious. And it's just like, you're just derivative of what religion is. Oh, you're wearing a monk's robe. Yes. So. I mean, really, I mean, do your I, and good friends. I have some good friends doing that, but it just always seems to be a complicated, uh, clunky gimmick to me. Now, Reverend Axel Future was formerly Professor Axel Future, so he kind of took it in a different, right? Like he didn't go around saying, "I'm going to save all the converted" or anything like right. that. He was just weird and had the Bible with the fire, and uh, they talked about what was it, the quickening. Yes. That was going I to happen. That. And one of the most brilliant things is he handed out that one page of like you know whatever literature it was and at the bottom it just said send one dollar to his post office box right then he pointed out it's like i never say what you get it just send one dollar to see if i get which is awesome and he was like oh i'll send him some stuff but but that was that like 1990s um i'm gonna throw out a bunch of weird movies no one's heard of like terminal city ricochet like jello biafra dead kennedy's kind of um the movie hardware dust devil these movies that uh were made that are very kind of before steampunk and kind of like biomechanic weirdness and like we pray at the altar of the television and almighty technology and Johnny Mnemonic, things like that. And I always felt like that's where the Reverend Axel, Axel Future okay. kind of fell in. So it worked. Oh, oh I, I okay. Compl- I thought that worked for that purpose. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your word for all of that. Like a very poke, poke, poke post-apocalyptic uh-huh. Um, that kind of whole feel and vibe. I always thought that that's what he gave off. Okay. So how is he doing, by the way? He's doing wonderful. I actually just contacted him about the death of Bobby Heenan. Yes. And I asked him the question, who is the one person when they pass away uh, will will make you stop following wrestling? Yeah. And um, I'd really like to read his response because it's a really well-written piece. Although very influential, when judged strictly as a manager, Heenan is not in my top five. He is certainly, objectively and or popularly, one of the greats, but his belovedness today is from the kids who grew up with him as a color commentator, comic foil, and he was good at that too, but again, not in my top five. His best work was WWA slash AWA, where he added a bit of slapstick to the drab seriousness and could contrast with a Bockwinkle or make a cartoony Rashki fit in. 
His ring work was perfect, and he had the best bloody magazine covers. The same way Albano and Wizard, and to a lesser extent Blassie, added flamboyance to the shallow characters of the WWWF, Heenan made folks stand out. By the time he was managing versus Hogan in the WWF, his silly cartoon side took over in a silly cartoon milieu, destroying that contrast and making the subtle flashes of effective brilliance more frustrating. Since he was out of the spotlight in recent years and had effectively said goodbye during his Hall of Fame speech, the drama of his death is merely tragic. Eddie Guerrero depressed me, Gary Hart bothered me, Dusty affected me, Foley, Flair, McMahon, Slaughter, Valiant will all sadden me. However, for me it is about wrestling. The sport, if you will, is bigger than any individual. Wrestling is all of it. The workers, the culture, the gimmicks, the history, the secrets, the current product, the, the local feds, the nostalgia shows, the bios and autobios, the restored footage, the unplumbed foreign styles. It is the greats who really make it shine, but wrestling is a river. Always moving and flowing, it creates and destroys, it changes and evolves. You can't stand in the middle of a river and no matter how big or important one part of it is, it will pass by. Even if you rest on the bank, the river doesn't stop for you, it keeps on streaming by. And he signs off. P.S. Did you ever think about the fact that there is more documentation and media of you wrestling than there is of Luthez? It's true. Was that a text? That, that was an email. Oh, Jesus. I was going to say, that's a crazy text. Well, I was going to say, you can put that in as your your monologue there. We don't have one. That's Anyway, amazing. so that was a, an email that I got. Yeah. Uh, I understand we had a theme of today's show. Yeah. Uh, we've been uh, talking about it for a while, and uh, we're going to get to it now. We're doing Q&A. Uh, well, I was going to say viewer mail to bring in the email link, but... Oh. Okay. Anyhow, so uh, we've got a couple questions. We have four questions specifically that we culled from the... Uh, collection of six that we got the the numerous cards and letters that we received yes uh so i i found the four that i thought were the most interesting now do you want the uh i'm gonna leave this up to you do you want to start with the heady esoteric um psychology of the business one or do you just want to and uh, start it out light and go with a tell me something about the business i want to know about type thing uh, as far uh, as like a person what would you prefer well we should Start off with a little spot to get the baby over, and then I like that work to a cutoff. So here, <laughs> this is good. All right, we'll save the um, the uh, psychology question for a little bit later. We're gonna start with this one. Uh, whatever happened to Hollywood John Tatum? And uh, hold on, I'm gonna okay. read. I'm reading the whole question oh, from this oh, guy. Sorry, I thought that was it. No, because these guys too are wordy, just like your friend. Okay. <laughs> whatever happened to Hollywood John Tatum? He was such an important part of Mid-South UWF, and then he just vanished. Why? <laughs> That's it. That's oh, the was that it? Sorry, that was it. I was so, getting yes, a drink. No so I, I just expecting... thought it was, I mean, it's, he's kind of curious. You know Hollywood John Tatum, of yes, course. Yes, yes. Crybaby John Tatum. I uh, loved John Tatum. I loved all of his stuff when I used to watch him. Yeah, I liked both of his things. Yes, basically. You're right. See, young Kyle, he brought Missy Hyatt. On, well, on the camera. Didn't bring her into the business, but that was that was the first place I, I saw Missy. Right. He had a, uh, it seemed like he had an incredibly large head. Like, and I don't mean that like egotistical. I mean, like the way his hair was feathered and the flow yeah. of his hair, his head just seemed extreme. Like he had a large cranium. Uh, He was, 
a very good golfer, I understand. Like okay. supported himself outside of wrestling by like hustling golf or something sure. like that. Uh, but I believe it was a car accident that took him out of the business. And did he leave before uh, Mid-South uh, went? There, well, just hold on. Oh, sorry. I'm well, sorry. he didn't leave. He was in a car accident. Well, I understand, but I'm saying, but did he leave the business before Mid-South went, got tied up with Turner is what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. That yeah. Was long, uh, I was uh, there was something was. Uh, like they found marijuana in the car or something like that. It was actually in the after mags okay. um, that talked about it. But that I believe that's what put him out. Okay. But I liked him because he did the crybaby gimmick. Yes. Um, which we've seen. We talked about George Cannon earlier. Uh, it's just a, it's a very effective gimmick to get over. Like Chris Candido went to Smoky Mountain, did all these flips, didn't get over, did the crybaby gimmick. Suddenly, boom. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's all I had to do. And was he, was Tatum, because he brought Missy, and then that led with all the Eddie Gilbert stuff down there as well, right? Yes. Well... Yes, because they were part of Hyatt and Hot Stuff International. Yes. And that's when, uh, like, Missy and Eddie started to canoodle or whatever. Right. We're going to be covering this down the road, but would you consider Missy Hyatt a manager or a valet? Valet. Yeah. Going Yeah, going through list of managers, I was always... Valet, but very, like, knew her part very well. Knew it well. Um, like tried once she was in Hyatt International, like she was the one running the thing, but I think she was actually the valet. Right. Had you heard anything? I distinctly remember reading this maybe a few years back when actually researching John Tatum uh, before this came in, but I think he runs a flea market or something now, or he's the ground, the head grounds person for somewhere down South. Like his family owned a flea market or they own some kind of, like a fireman's park or something along that line, and that's what he is the manager of now. Okay, Kyle, that makes can you look sense, that up? especially you with your, the golf you have thing. your phone? John Tatum, wrestler, Hollywood. John Hollywood Tatum. John Tatum. Come on, uh, yeah, check that out and see see what he does. But I just Hollywood remember something is usually about that. italicized. Um, okay, this takes us off into a tangent. Sure, the cadence needed for wrestling nicknames, like it's something you didn't think about until you heard a like ring announcer introduce him as Paul Mr. Wonderful Orndorff. Right. It's like, no, it's Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Like right. Jerry the King Lawler. Crazy Luke Graham. It wouldn't be Luke Crazy Graham or whatever. Oh, this just in. Okay. From Kyle. Bum, After bum, leaving bum. the GWF, Tatum continued wrestling on the Texas Independent Circuit for two years until his retirement in 95 to take over oh. his family business in Pensacola Interstate Fair in Pensacola, Pensacola, Florida. So I was right. Oh, fair enough. So okay. he basically so I was like totally a wrong. Market, uh, at this point now. So, which is funny because I could have looked that up before the show and sounded super intelligent. But yeah. I'm just going well, off. Well, good. Of, well, welcome to welcome to my world. Well, hey, you know, I just thought that it was a thing. I was like John Tatum. I really, yeah, yeah, um, I liked him. The, was he was Jack Victory with John Tatum? Yeah, they were a tag team. Okay, and so that and that was all. Was that Mid South or right? Uh, Mid-South slash UWF. Yeah, okay. I'm fuzzy on exactly when it was. Well, no, because Missy started in world class, so it might have started there. Over there and moved yeah. over. Now, I think... I, I, I believe it did. Okay. And well, that's when like Ken Mantell left world class and like gutted him out and took everybody over with him. Okay. Well, see, and I always thought that um, Hyatt, Gilbert, Tatum, all of them were in UWF. They were in Mid-South. Then Crockett came, and then when they 
got the talent that Tatum was just left behind. That was always my understanding. But uh, left behind or didn't want to travel or didn't want to do yeah. it, and it was just like that was that was the end of it. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so that's a good question. So I hope that um, I hope that answered it for you. Uh, we had another guy, <laughs> the Wikipedia. Well, could have. We, 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 yeah, there. I mean, but no, okay. but we're just again. I kind of like. I like where these go because I like the free flow and it kind of okay. throws stuff out there. Um, here's one that I know nothing about. So okay. I'm with, relying on you. And I hope he's, he's wincing. Okay. Uh, do you have any stories about wrestling riots in the history of Milwaukee, um, especially any related to the AWA? I know we know some in the 90s that, yeah. that have happened. Yeah. But anything uh, like any kind of rough crowds, anything you heard about with the AWA? Yes. There's a very famous one. I want to, uh, of course, I don't have the date because I didn't blah 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 cage match between crusher and mad dog okay where a i believe a grandmother tried to scale the cage really like there was a riot that night wow um there was uh i believe a riot i I forget the building in 64 like there wasn't wrestling in milwaukee for two years in the 60s okay because of a riot because of a riot it actually stopped that well i guess awa started 62 so it would have been tangentially awa but sure um remember there was always a local promoter here that ran um i've seen the name in print but i can't recall it right now uh, that was a part like he was he became a partner of Ganya, but milwaukee used to get people from chicago and whatever so there was always a scene here yeah and it came through, but that was because of the riot. Do you know why that? What the was it? The old lady cage riot that caused the stop, or was that? Um, no. No, I, I I had just heard about this this other riot. I want to say it was a, the one in the '60s was a tag team with Vern teaming up with his hated enemy Hans Schmidt to go against possibly two Russians at the time. Okay, that I can't remember. Sure. Uh, and it was the whole joining up with my enemy. First two falls, everything was fine. Suddenly, at the start of the third fall, that's when Schmidt turns on Ganya, oh, and that gotcha. caused the riot enough that uh, there was enough trouble at the building that the city father said, "There's, there's not going to be wrestling here." And it was two years before wrestling came back. Wow, that's that's pretty great. So that's neat. And you were, we always talked about you were responsible. Well, not responsible for the riot, <laughs> but you were in one of the riots in the nineties. I was present. Here. I was present to the two riots at Knights of Columbus. Yes. Um, first one, I can't remember. It may have been a double chain, double tag match. I just remember suddenly there was a, a hubbub in the next room and the locker room started to empty and, uh, there's like, oh, there's a fight going on and everybody's running out there. I'm like, what the hell are we going to do now? A fight between fans. I I didn't know at that point. It was just this, you know, you know, at this point. Oh, okay. At this point. Yeah. So, um, somebody's kid got hit oh gotcha yeah and that escalated into something and boom and the place was it's stuffed and everything yeah uh the promoter like gathers up a black bag and says derek here hold on to this i'm going out there like what the hell and he's like there's eight thousand dollars in it like shit what am i gonna do with this bag i think we've told this story yeah i went into my bag and got my brass knucks and just sat there like that was my plan in case anybody came through the door i think there was another there was another commotion the next month but that got dealt with really fast sure sure that's pretty wild wasn't yeah it was it was like wow this is this is what you read about i like to think that the uh promoter thought to himself this uh this Derek guy he's not gonna be any good in a fight 
<laughs> Let me just. At that point, he's no. gonna be worthless out there in the crowd. Let's uh, give yeah, him a bag I, of well, money and, uh, and have him sit in a corner. That's fair because I wasn't going out there. Right. Yeah. It's like, hey, not your kid. Yeah. Well, at that point, I had no idea what was going on. Sure. But in at, for both of these cases, unfortunately, it was non wrestling stimuli that caused the riot. Right. It to wasn't fester. the actual like it excitement wasn't in the ring. Yeah. And and that made me kind of sad. Yeah. That's great. So. <laughs> So yes, yeah. yeah, yes, well, yeah. I mean, like you, you got to be. That's the great thing. I yeah, think that's great. Like, there's the great footage of uh, Ox Baker and Ernie Ladd in was it Cleveland? Cleveland yes. Yeah, where they, all of a sudden all the chairs start coming in the ring, and right, you yeah, see no, Johnny Powers hurdle the the wall at the hockey ring. Yeah, I mean? it's yeah. Uh, it really is. Um, it is something I think it's amazing that's when you think that they've really played with the people's emotions that much that oh that's it so because worked wrestling up. worked worked on emotion rather than spectacle right and now people are just they're at the they're at the circus watching the acrobats right which, which is fine draws money whatever but it used to be you know that feeling getting inside you, you sympathized with that baby face and you you know guys got stabbed guys right. got shot you know there was a here's kind of a funny anecdote from the other week so um the crowd was rocking and rolling at the show and uh that we were both on sure <laughs> and uh i don't like it's this isn't the forum for me to put my show over yeah so. you do anyway that's all right anyhow uh <laughs> thanks to everybody that came out by the way yeah. so there's a point during the show where some guys were really happy and excited and it was during um, I'm going to forget who it was, but there was some kind of happy, fun music playing someone's intro sure. and a guy was waving his hands like the way you remember public enemy used to do that. And the guy was waving it like he did just didn't care. Yes. Okay. Wave him in the air. Didn't care. Was high fiving all the people around him and turned around to a guy, uh, one of my uh, fellow uh, workers, someone I work with uh, in my shoot job. Uh-huh. And he was there with his friend who has Terrible. PTSD. Uh-huh. <laughs> and this guy's like, hey, and tried to high five him. And so the guy goes, okay, and he put one hand up and high-fived him. And then the guy stood in front of him and kept going, like, waving his hands, like, Dub, both hands, both hands. And the guy with PTSD is like, I, I did one. I'm fine. Thank you. You can move on to the next person. And the guy tried to grab the P, the guy with PTSD's hands, the head, like, to start dancing with him. So the, the war vet with PTSD grabbed the guy by his fingers and twisted them and jacked it up and said, leave me the fuck alone. And then the guy said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then the guy dropped fingers and then was going to apologize because he's like, I, you know, he kind of flew off the handle. The, this guy had to stand up against the back wall. Like uh-huh. that's how yeah, yeah, affected yeah, he is. Yeah. And he was about to say, hey, I'm sorry. And before he could do that, the guy turned around and started like <laughs> dancing like a moron again and like trying to like high five everybody around him. And then for the rest of the show, he was very angry and just like kind of. Just with a laser sight on this guy the whole show was waiting for him to come back around he was gonna pop him so <laughs> thankfully thankfully that didn't happen okay so, yeah so that was pretty fun oh so this wasn't one of the wrestlers this no no it was just goof. a guy yeah a guy from okay. my shoot job and one of his buddies about to say out. that would be an awkward ring intro yes. right there. <laughs> yeah so uh yeah and luckily not too many people noticed it but it was definitely um something that happened so okay. when you hear about that stuff after the show I'm a little bit like, oh, yeah, well, okay, good. Thank you for not hurting that guy. Because yes. he's notorious for going into bars, I guess. And if he gets bumped into and he just he has a hard time dealing with personal space. Okay. So, and God bless him. 
yep. hey, de- defended our country. Yes. So, all right. Speaking of defending our country, um, let's well, actually this guy did not defend our country. <laughs> so okay, yeah, I was trying to find a good segue, but I couldn't. Here's another question about the AWA. Okay. There was a popular AWA wrestler named Steve Regal. Did he wrestle outside of the AWA, or was he a guy like Brad? Is it Rangins? I always pronounce it wrong. Yeah, Brad Rangins. Brad Rangins, who seemed to strictly work only for Vern. This is a good one because I've always been curious about this as well. I've never Wikipedia'd him. I've never looked him up. I'm not. I just know he was a light heavyweight wrestler. Yep. I think he did world class for uh, a bit. Did right? world class? Did Portland? Did Memphis? And what what's his deal? Was he just Wilbur Snyder's son-in-law? Really? Yes. Interesting. Yeah, I found that. I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. That's yeah. why he was there. And then so, because he's another one though that seemed to like have dried up when the territories dried up, right? Yeah, yeah. He just really worked with the AWA so he could stay home. What was he, Mister Superstar? Mister Electricity. Mister Electricity. Which that is funny because I think even the aftermags ripped on his semi lack of charisma. Yeah. Um, of course, his big his big break was teaming with Jimmy Garvin to beat the Road Warriors for the AWA tag titles. That seems ridiculous. Yes. Well, it required the Freebirds interference. And but. what at what point was this in the when his career in the AWA? I should say at what point was this towards like was it like a super that was clash towards or, uh... his tag team world title reign? Right. No, but I'm saying, but was this like? Towards the Super Clash, what was this? Was this toward the waning days of AWA? Was it or when they were losing Road Warriors or what? Yeah, was well, that? it would have been when they lost the Road Warriors. Well, I don't know. This is okay. what I'm asking. Well, you. but I mean, that's he won the title. Yeah, but some teams uh, have lost the title and stayed with a company. Yeah, but the Road Warriors were already on the way out because they were appearing with both sides. Okay, and then finally uh, made the jump. Well, it's hard. It's difficult for me to know exactly what was going on because I was following it through magazines, so there was like a, a right. delay. But I believe they were appearing in both places. Okay. And then finally signed the exclusive with WCW. Okay, gotcha. Now, I recently heard on a podcast with Joe Laurinaitis, apparently they were also like doing week-long stands around the country for a while. Oh, really? Yeah, like they'd go into San Antonio and... And this is between contracts with WCW and AWA. Yes, I believe it was when they were working for the AWA because their schedule was so relaxed. Okay. Well, that makes sense. See, I, I uh, asked you the question. You give me grief. Kyle, do you see that, Kyle? He gave me grief, and then he comes back with all this great information. I just got to get warmed up. Okay, fair enough. Uh, he, Perennial light heavyweight champion because he was a smaller guy, right. which is really why he didn't go, you know, I, I may have done jobs for Vince at some point. Yeah. But was really like in the smaller territories, like we said, Memphis, world class. Was there somebody uh, that he worked a lot in AWA? Buck Zumhoff. <laughs> I was I was leading you to that one. Sure. <laughs> That's like my own little inside joke. Sorry. Okay. That's great. Uh, um so he had a very <laughs> sorry. I mean, solid worker. Yeah, and he had the look like he had that kind of fabulous ones, uh, Stan Lane. Yeah, but he kinda. was small. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, but it was like the blonde and the beard. Yeah, blonde hair, dark beard. But I, I thought I'm he kinda, had. Kinda I, I don't that think right he now. had the dark beard. I thought he had a blonde beard. Was that it? Like I think he oh, was blonde. Yeah, you're right. I think you're right. Now and may have it. worn white trunks with a red stripe. Sure. And then, uh, is it was it out of the ordinary at that time, for? Well, he was Steve Regal. 
And then all of a sudden you get Steven Regal to come in. Steven Regal was always Steven Regal, Lord Steven Regal in England, right? No. Well, what was he then? Why would he? Because that seems like the wrestling world was so small back then that you would have th- thought that somebody would have said. Well, he, I mean, deal? his real name is Darren Matthews or something like that. Okay. And like his first name was Roy Regal. Yeah. You know, just the name they gave. He was, he was a young kid, like, uh, like started out at 15 when he went and saw wrestling at the carnivals. Okay. And like got scruffed into the mat a few times and decided to stick around and you know that so he started off very young uh from doing the carnival circuit that's where he went into the world of sport and then was around and got discovered when wcw went over there for a, a english trip sure a british trip um so did they give him the name steven regal no no i think he was steven regal at that point okay he didn't gotcha. want to be roy regal anymore so he was steve regal gotcha uh but and then, at that point awa steve regal was well gone well, he was around, but he was in the AWA. Yeah, and it didn't matter. Yeah. So, like, when he came over, he did, like, the scientific babyface gimmick, but wasn't really getting over, so then they decided to go with the character. Now, I don't I, I don't recall if that was engineered or not. Okay. But, like, but I remember him as just the scientific wonder and then turning into the, the aristocrat. Sure. Um we've touched on this before this is when i was in college and still trying to find out what wrestling was like a, you know i was very interested in it but then here came this guy with the style that was much more believable than anything else i had seen right I was like, right what is this all about so when i finally broke in that's who i ripped off gotcha yeah so i always think it's uh when you think of a guy like steve regal the awa one oh, oh i yeah. do want to mention this um i had to work a steel for the first time you know way sure, way yeah. back when and he was like, well, so tell me what wrestlers do you watch? So he could get an idea of what I did. I was like, oh, uh, William Regal, Steve Regal. And he was like, really? Oh, okay. Like, took him off guard. I was like, right. this is going to be a great match. He was match. waiting for you to say Shawn Michaels. Yeah. It's like, no, no, I like this guy. Well, let's just wrestle. Okay. Yeah, that's awesome. That's, yeah. That's uh, are we best friends that. now? Yeah. Right, right. Yes, in the business. Uh, I think that Steve Regal, AWA Steve Regal, falls into this weird character um, or this weird conglomerate of wrestlers, this big oozing pile of wrestlers that I okay. think of. Ah, I'm getting somewhere with this. Where I'm often like, well, where the hell is this guy now? It's the John Tatum, the Steve Regal, someone like Al Perez, uh-huh. guys that were names that I remember from back in the day that are clearly n- like not even, besides doing like a fan fest are not even remotely right. involved in the business. And how do you go from being, and I'll bring them up. It's a lot, but like Al Perez, how do you go from being someone that was like in the business and over? And all of a sudden now you're just like selling cars somewhere, you know, like how does that, how does it get to that? Well, Al Perez, oh, I'm Is thinking it? of Al Madrill. Sorry. Or same. Yeah. Same thing. Al Perez or Al Madrill, either one. Well, do you know if Al Perez is really selling cars? No, I don't, but I'm saying oh, I feel oh, okay. like a lot of guys are. Okay, well, let's just take that for an example. Um, selling cars, that's a sales job. That's the projection of a personality. Sure, right, right. You know, in a, a line of bullshit. So, it you know, it makes sense for a wrestler. Right. And who knows, uh, granted, us as fans, we don't know what was going on behind the scenes with these guys. Yeah. For all we know, you know, Polly Pureheart was a, you know, a huge coke fiend, and that's why they're right. doing whatever now. Right. Um. I brought up El Madrill because 
for years I had read he wanted nothing to do with the business and like wouldn't talk about it. Yeah. But now like I just saw on Facebook, like he resurfaced looking for footage of himself. So oh, okay. I, I don't know if he opened up or I, I would like to think he just like, oh, there's money in these nostalgia things. Right, I better exactly. jump on the. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, and I could see that's why they come back. But it's interesting for me to look at it and say, well, where do these people go? Um, someone like, and again, kind of out of the, another left field one, but someone like, and I, I think he's still alive, but like Slick. Yeah, yeah right? he's a preacher in uh, Missouri, like but how, Kansas City. But how do you go from riding this wave of wrestling business and then just completely disconnect from it? It just seems like it's so, so in people's blood and then... To be able to walk away is well, so strange. Even that, going over to being a preacher, it's the same deal. I believe right. he was a preacher before he was a wrestler. Right. So, like, you know, that's a matter of just right. going back into it. It's the same thing. Um, there's a, well, there's a lot of ex-wrestlers that have gone into religion. Yeah, Or worked sure. the religion angle and you know, everything like that. Tying this it gets all me, up. What's that? Oh, uh, that's what it is. Yeah. Like, um, who was it? Somebody was asking Jake Roberts at the height of his, like, oh, you're born again. Like, what, you know, what is, what do you get out of this? And he was like, 1500 plus gimmicks, brother. You know, like, <laughs> but some people, like, everybody claimed Tully Blanchard got into it as a, you know, right. as a gimmick, but still preaches to prisons and, you know, still active in that. So, you know, good for him if that's right. what you want to do. All of this talk leads me to the question I pondered this week with the passing of Bobby Heenan. Who is the last terror? Like, who was the last wrestler that worked the territories? Yeah, like I don't have that answer, but it's something to think about. And when but do you? It's when do you? Far off. Well, right? when do you cut off the territories? Because I was thinking, like, if you even like Memphis went to what ninety six, yeah, ninety nine, right? That's twenty years ago, right? So, like, anybody that was 35 to 40 working there is now 60-some now. Right. If they've lived through all of that. Right. So, like, if that if 96 is your cutoff, like, when is the last, who's the last territorial wrestler? Because going into the question I asked earlier, like, who, who would it take to pass away to have you lose your interest in the business? For me, I think it would be that last territorial wrestler. Right. Because I think I have a pretty firm handle on anybody that would have just worked for Vince. Oh, right. You know, a la John Cena. You know, not even sure. Undertaker, because Undertaker traveled as Mean Mark Callis and right, Punisher right. and was in Chicago for a bit. Yeah. That's a great, is, that is a great question. Like, who, yeah. but I think it's almost, I almost think it's unanswerable. Oh, it has, yeah, yes. Because it's the varied, you have to set the parameters for what that is. If you're talking about the territories proper, well, okay, how about anybody that broke in pre-96? If we're going to use the end of Memphis as the end of the territories, we'd have to say 96. So anybody that broke in after that wouldn't have been able to travel that system. But see, I even think that that's late. I, okay. feel, that, I feel at that point Memphis is an anomaly. And I uh, feel true. that um, I think that I think we have to look at what was the last year that the territory system was was not I don't say prosperous, but it was full, meaning that there was a someone running in each of the territories that we speak of. 
What was the last year that Memphis, oh, Florida, then that's Portland, very, very early then. San Francisco. Like 83, 84. Yeah. No, which, that's what I would think, right? Because like, that's territories proper. That's the... That's territories proper, but you still had places to go. Right. Like in 96, like there were five members of the NWA. Right. But if you're, but I say, but if you're looking no, like at 93, the, they were five members of the NWA. Yeah. But I'm saying if you're looking at, if you want, like, cause to me, I think the purity of the territories and like when, when someone says to me, the territories, I imagine the United States and I imagine it in those cut up where we have every single area has their right. guys when we do that. And to me, that's the territories. Once they start, once half of those are gone, that's not considered the territories anymore. Okay. It's just kind of like what's fading out. Then we're going to say 89. Okay. Sure. Say so 89 to be generous because that's when Portland would go under. Yeah. That, I, I, I just want to state example. while we're having this serious discussion, yeah. there are film cans art or film rolls artfully put on the wall behind you. Yes. So as I talk to you, you have this bizarre Mickey Mouse <laughs> avant-garde thing going on, which is incredible. Uh, way to bring it down. Anyhow, that was a good that was a good answer to a question about Steve Regal. <laughs> <laughs> that was the most uh, he ever worked right there. That was Fair. the most. Uh, oh, I'm not going to say that. I'm just kidding. There you go. They're taking we'll put a that up on the website. We had to pause for a second because Kyle was taking a picture of me with the film cans behind my ear. Um, all right. Here's our last question. Okay. And then we're going to move it off this. And this right. one's really cerebral. This is the psychology of the business. Okay. My question for the Q&A is about the inner workings of a match. Which person is the good guy? Which is, I'm just kidding. That's not what it says. Derek. Ooh, they're, 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 they're addressing hey. you directly. How are you doing? Derek. Once, oh, no, they're not, they're, they're making a statement. See, I should have read this beforehand. Derek once said that the great wrestlers call their spots in the match in the moment and try not to plan too much prior. With that mentality, how do pinfalls work? Is there communication in the ring about when it should be a quick kick out or a near fall, or do you just feel it out? What happens if a near fall goes wrong? Well, the match ends, right? That's <laughs> the... Right. If a near fall goes wrong, the match just end, ends at that point. Well, no, on that point, it's it's a universal rule that it's incumbent on the wrestlers to kick out. The referee's count or cadence needs to be even, and I'm not saying that, you know, for the execution of these rules, right. but no, it needs to be believable like the count should be the same through, you know, throughout the match. So you don't do sure. the 1 2 and then 1 2 3. It just doesn't it, it cripples the illusion of something that's already horribly broken. Right. So it's always incumbent on the wrestler to kick out. Uh, I've been in matches. I remember there was one match where I did kick out after and the ref like let it go, but it was it was very close and, and you, you catch you could hear that? well you could hear the crowd shit on it right. and then I got talked to about it later. It yeah. was it was at the nights. Yeah. Um so that happens, but I've been like seen matches where somebody doesn't kick out and it just goes and the crowd, even though wrestling is supposed to be real and everything, the crowd knows something is wrong because like the finish just comes out of nowhere and they haven't been primed for it or right. anything like that. So they can kind of sense that as well. Right. I noticed um, this last summer I had a chance to go see NXT and uh, never heard of it, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I but, like the Jack Gallagher, of course. Uh, by the way, um, I was getting a lot. Not Take it back to Bobby Heenan real quick. Everybody decided they needed to text me and message me and say, did you hear about Bobby Heenan? Even like 
the next day I was getting them. Like, did you hear about this? And it's like, yes, thank you. All 500 messages. And I appreciate all of that. Um, but so there was a specific group of us. I'm sorry you're so popular. Jay. No, no, no. But I'm just saying it's like, you know, like my mom is contacting me on, you know, Tuesday morning going, hey, what about that Bobby Heenan guy? He died. And I'm like, oh, well. But anyhow. I, now, of course, it's sad. But yeah. like, like my friend said, he kind of wrapped everything up. And he was 73. So that was yeah, pretty. That, a nice that's life. a good run. I mean, granted, he had his difficulties in the back, but never lost his spirit. Or Right. Well, so I pulled up. Look, looking forward to that issue of the Observer. Right. I pulled a Derek St. Holmes on this group. I would like, uh, I got put in some messenger group with okay. five or six people and they were sharing. Oh, can't believe he died. Such a loss. Uh, this was a, one of my favorite clips. This is one of this, that, and I just refused to chime in and I was just reading it and it was nice. And then I just chimed in with never heard of him. Never heard of him. And, and basically, uh, killed the thread nice. just with that comment. Never heard of him. Uh, so that was pretty good. I just had to bring that up as an homage <laughs> to you. Um, back to the pinfall thing with NXT. Uh, it was, uh, I can't remember. I might've been Roderick Strong. I can't remember who he was fighting, but uh, there was one of those. Someone came off the top rope and the ref counted three and the kickout was late. Right. And all of the juice, all of the energy that was in that match, though it was like watching the balloon just go yep. and fart away. And the rest of the match was, the focus was on the shit, shitty ref. They blamed the ref. Uh, right. Right. That, so what, they, what, what do you mean? They blame the ref. What do you mean they? The, the, the audience crowd? blame the ref. Yes. Um, and, uh, but clearly the kickout was late. Right. Um, and, but the, the ref got up and tried doing like his motioning to the right. rainbow guy, like saying like, no, he had to show. And, you know, as if trying to explain and the crowd just shit on it. And the rest of the right. match was just like a wet fart. Yep. Um, because of that one moment up at that point, a pretty solid athletic match that just kind of got, uh, just really the sales taken out of it. So well, the wind taking out the sales, not to talk about wrestling today, but that's kind of the danger of the way they do ma- you know i never mind back right. in my day that's right. all no, i'll no, say no. back in my day and so this other the guy asking this question though too kind of want to know like how do you call the finish well i mean you pretty much the, like the if for you i uh, I don't, don't want to speak for you i guess i shouldn't but like when you're in a match a lot of times you can feel your your way through a match in the ring but you guys usually have the finish set up before like the finish is the one thing or is that one of the things you work yeah. on yeah well yeah that's that's the one thing you know right and then you can pepper and salt everything else. As far as the timing in the pinfalls that he asked about, yeah. that's your ability as a worker. Like, what story are we trying to tell? Oh, um, baby face is on top, blah, blah, blah. He'll hits him in the throat, you know, like the double throat chop, and he goes down. Right. You go down for a cover. That, you know, that should be a one count or whatever. The, the guy's only done one thing to you. Right. Um, and then you can pull out to the 2.78 or whatever you want to, depending on where you are in the match, what story you want to tell. You know, maybe you take a bunch of desperation counts, 2.5, 2.5, 2.5. Then all of a sudden after that big move, boom, you're out at one and then you're up and you're rocking and rolling. Yeah. You know, it can be used as a tool for storytelling, much like anything else. How many, uh, um, pinfall attempts is too many or how is there, would you say? I make false finish, like not false finish, but like just doing like the. Well, oh, um, okay, because you're going off in like many different directions. No, no, and that's here. I'm I trying to reel anything. it in here a little okay. bit. Like, is there a, a, a? I think it's exciting when you're when you see um, a match where there's a lot of near falls. Right. Um, but is there a point? Do you think where it just becomes too much and it takes away from the match itself? It, it can. Yeah. You know, especially in the using of the false finishes, that's 
something I don't, you know, I have issue with when it's not done properly or when it's done in every match where right. there's multiple, you know. At a certain point, I, I feel I should put the disclaimer on. This is my opinion about wrestling. Uh, if anybody else thinks we're wrong, please please contact us. We'll talk about it. We'll do Derek whatever. Derek will talk to you. I don't know anything. Yeah, that's fine, I, you know, because I... I admit I'm a bit behind, you know, I'm standing in the river that my buddy talked about. Right. Just watching everything pass by. Right. And that's fine. You know, until my bookings peter down to nothing. Um, Where was I going with this? I don't know. You just started rambling. I was just saying, you were oh, talking about the, the false finishes. The false finishes. Um, the too many false finishes in a match. You know, it depends on how do you have the people with you. Right. You know, have both people been built up or have these finishers you know, do they look impressive enough that people are still buying them and you're still kicking out? At a certain point, if you do too many of them, it makes you look weak, weak because right. you're doing all of these moves that you're not putting this guy away. Sure. So so there's a definite balance and what needs to be done to get that over. Here's a weird uh, question. Well, I'm sorry. Oh, well, you go. Sorry. Continue. This goes into my love of two out of three fall matches because with being able to drop a fall and not being able to drop a match, you can protect finishers and they still have their effectiveness because chances are the people will have seen that move actually work. Sure. As opposed to somebody that does this fantastic series of moves, but it's always a two count. It's like, okay, you can do all this stuff, but nothing's putting the guy away. Right. So Makes that, sense. that's where I come from. It, you have to massage that story point in order to get your, your near falls in and how they look. Um, Let me ask a question. Please. Do you feel that it's possible to do a match where there are zero near falls or pin attempts until the actual finish? Unfortunately, that's a lot of matches because people are forgetting the construct that they're trying to win. Okay. So people will forget to go for falls, or they want to always gesture to the crowd. It's like so it's you get, put them down, right now do you something. Think it's get your shit in, get your shit in, get your shit in, and then the finish. Yes, like they're not which I don't the story like of like right making it competitive. Now the story that you're talking about sounds like a TV squash match. Sure. I'm just going to go out there, beat you up, you're, and I'll right. Well, that's you what I'm saying. End. Has it been sold to us so long as a TV squash match that it would be hard for two reputable wrestlers to go out tell a great story that there's only one. Pin attempt tried, and that's the win of the match, the, the actual match win. Uh, anything's possible. I yeah. would have to see it done. I feel that that would suffer from the, you wouldn't be able to build tension. Right. Because without those pinfall attempts, you have no way of telling who is winning at a given point. Right. You know who's winning? What's that? This audience is winning today. Oh, dear Derek. Lord. So that is, there, do you have a question, Kyle? You keep raising your hand. Here, oh. Kyle, we're going to pass the mic to Kyle. Here, here, this is Kyle. So, Derek, you wrestle a lot of different indie shows um, sure or i and, uh, have and one thing that Stop it, i'm always <laughs> <laughs> one thing i'm always curious about is do you plan your finishes different for for an audience that's not used to seeing you compared to an audience that is used to seeing you i guess i ask this because as someone who's gone to different indie shows if i'm seeing people that i don't recognize uh, sometimes a finish to me comes out of the blue because I'm not used to seeing their finisher. Whereas if you're watching something like WWE, we know what their finishes are because we see them every week. Yeah, so that's my question, I guess. Okay, so there's a few different ways to go with this. One, you don't necessarily have to change your finisher as change your style for your match. 
Um, we just got done with what we call the fair season where like we wrestle at a lot of county fairs and stuff like that. Those people are not wrestling fans. They're there because something's going on. So you really, it's in your advantage to reel it back and do a lot of the ref, he pulled my hair, you know, and very simple to follow the people along because they're not involved wrestling fans. I mean, sure, there's a few smarks or whatever in there and that's fine but it breaks my heart when you have a crowd like that that aren't wrestling fans but you see guys go out there and try and put on this five-star quality match the people are just lost because it's all boom 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 uh like one thing i hate right now is when they call out the name of their finisher which it's becoming a truism in wrestling whenever anybody calls out the name of their finisher or says it's over, it's not over. It's true. It's so frustrating. It's over. No, it's not. Boom. We go into something else. But I think that's, yes, it's confusing for the fans because you don't have TV to get your product over, and that's the only time. So it makes sense to me. Some people don't see it that way, and smile and nod. Right. No, and that I agree. I think that makes good sense. So, yes, you do have to know your audience. Um, if you're going to a town for the first time, you know, you can get get your shtick over, but then when you go back two or three times or when you have your home base, there that's when you can get involved into different things because those people are familiar and they've seen you. But it, yeah, if you're going in for like a one shot or it's your first time in town, I think you have to it's it's the introduction. It's it's the beginning to a 70s sitcom. Here's this person, here's this person, here's this person. Um I don't recommend running storyline when you go into a town for the first time. If anything, do something that's self-contained in that card instead of saying, well, last month you did this and blah, blah, blah. Like those people, they're not familiar. They didn't see it. They don't have the investment. So you set up that angle. I'm not against setting up an angle in the beginning to be executed at the end of the show. You know, that's fine because that gets the people involved, but that still gets the product over. So. That was, um, I'm going to drop a name here. Sorry. I'm, I met Paul Heyman back in 1997 oh, at a house ECW house show in Indianapolis. Hey, Mr. Heyman. Yeah, I, I was, I was, I was, I was the a realist. Yeah, I, was, I think it was 97, 97, 98, somewhere around that point. It's radical. And um, I had the chance to talk to him for like two minutes. And I had asked Those him, two minutes changed how do you set up the matches at these shows? And he said, he said, yeah, yes. Uh, he said it in a very fast voice and very irritated at me because he just didn't want to answer questions. Uh, he basically said at that point where he, uh, he's like, I'm trying out stuff for the future. And then he said, and I do angles in like at house shows that start at the beginning that like tie into the main event. Yes. That was his thing. I was like, oh, okay. And that was the, and then he's like, get out of here. <laughs> and then I was like, all right. And who, who's like, get back, get out of here, kid. Right. There's no kid booked right. on the show tonight. No, actually, you know, the funny thing is he said, there's New Jack. Talk to him. Oh, jeez. And I was geez. like, hey. So I was like, okay. And I stood there and watched New Jack for a minute. No one was talking to him. And then a couple people went up and talked to him, some other uh-huh. uh, fans. And uh, then I'm like, okay, well, as long as there's other people up around him, he's not going to do anything to me. Right. So I sauntered up and was like, hi, New Jack. Yes. 
that's so that's my story. But did anyhow, he, did he read to you? No, uh, because the no at that point the question was where's where's Mustafa, and then he just shit on Mustafa for like twenty minutes. Uh, Mustafa recently resurfaced. That's I what saw I heard on the Facebooks or whatever. Yeah. So anyhow, so that's my story. So speaking of uh, going back under the surface, I think we're gonna draw this episode to an end. Sure. I'm always trying to look for that tie-in. Uh, Derek, thank you for answering these questions. Maybe another 10 episodes down the road, we'll uh, come back with some more Q&A. Aren't we coming up on 25 pretty soon? I think this might be 22. Yeah. Yeah. We, so two, pretty two, great. Two, three, two, four. Oh, um, so we'll have to come up with something good. Yeah, for we'll come up time. with something. Now, here's something I'll pose to the audience. I want to do a Q&A episode, but I want a live audience. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm fine with it, but... right. Right. You know, uh, well, we I'm would, just the talent. You figure that out. Yeah, yeah. No, that exact. Hey, listen, I'm the promoter. I can get this done. Oh, <laughs> just like our live WrestleMania podcast. Yes. So right. No. Well, that wasn't my fault. That you know, that was kind of my fault. Anyhow, uh, I want to figure that out. So if you're listening to this, which you are, because uh, you're hearing this, and you think that that's a good idea and you'd be into it, please message us or put us, uh, say something to us on the Facebook to let us know. I know we can get at least two people there. That's what I'm saying. Hello, Sweet Willie T and hello, Jay Doherty. Excellent. Yes, please, by all means, um, let us know you'd come out. Uh, we do it here in Milwaukee, of course. We're not going to travel anywhere. Someplace with food. Yes, we'll do it someplace with food, but we'd like to do that. Ideally, I'd like to do it before the weather gets too cold. So... Uh, if this episode's dropping uh, here sometime in September, maybe end of October, early November. Sure. I, I agree to your totally. I'm sorry, I just brought this up right here. now. So, with that being said, message us or shoot us something on Facebook. Let us know. Uh, we'd like to do a live QA, I think. Or if you have a better idea for a live episode, let us know. Shirtless. Well, no, I'm not talking about how we should be presented. I'm talking about a topic. Oh, okay. Best shirtless men in wrestling. All of them. All, every single one. Oh. Yes. Quickly. Then we got to wrap this up. Russell Day, 10-man tag in Green Bay recently. Yes. I was one of two people that did not wear a shirt. Okay. Made me feel very good. We've talked about this. We, Kyle, you've, you and I have talked about this. I know we've talked about this. I only allow one person on our show to wear a t-shirt. Otherwise, I want everybody else in gear. I hate people that wear t-shirts when they wrestle. Your fetishes are well known. Jay. Thank you. But I'm just saying. So that's always. Uh, I, I just. I. Ugh. I don't care what you look like. So it's quick when I want to say it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anyhow. So to wrap things up, this is your co-host Jay Gilkey, and you've been listening to Cigars and Conversations with Derek Saint Holmes Esquire, brought to you by our good friends at Astro Radio Z and iTunes, asking you to please subscribe, rate, and most importantly, share the podcast with your friends and family. We'll see you next time.